Well, welcome to launch. Amen. Welcome. It's so good to see each and every one of you here, and it's even better to feel the presence of the Lord. And I told somebody, I forget who it was, it might have been uh, my wife, and, but uh, I told somebody right before we got here, I said, you can tell that by my suspenders that I'm really hip with the kids. <clears throat> so you can tell that I'm the right man for the job. Amen. I just feel the presence of the Lord. I don't mean to belabor the point, and I know you're ready to hear the word of the Lord, but I just love the Lord. Amen. Well, my, my text is going to be from Acts chapter 18, but before we go there, I, of course, want to give honor to every one of you that are here. And uh, I think it'd be appropriate. I know you're seated, but we're about to read the word. So would you stand? And when you do that, I, I want you to find somebody, high five them, say you look pretty. Now, if you're lying, we got an altar, we can deal with that. Find somebody else and just say, it's, it's good to have you at launch. Praise God. Well, my text is going to be from Acts chapter 18. And I give honor to uh, the district board, to uh, Bishop Powell, the Church of Omaha, for having us here today, allowing us to have launch here at this place. And, of course, your pastors and youth pastors and, and uh, everyone that's just here, youth or not youth, I forget how Bishop Powell said it, those that are youth want to be youth or wish they were youth or something like that. But I thank you all for being here. And uh, I'm, I'm expecting God to do some great things tonight. Amen. My text might sound a little peculiar. Uh, you might not exactly know where I'm going to go with that, but just bear with me. I guess if I came right off the gate with my point, then we'd just have a two-minute service and we'd be done. Uh, but I, I don't think, uh, I think I've got a little more to say, and uh, we'll, we'll see. My mother and father were teasing me. Uh, we're, we have an appointment in the morning, and uh, they said, well, it depends on how early we get up in the morning. depends on how long the preacher preaches tonight. So we will see if I inherited that alphan gene for long-windedness. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens, and he came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila. Everybody say Aquila. How would you like to have a name like Aquila? That's a man's name, too. That's, kinda, that's an interesting name. Moving right along. Born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius, the Roman emperor, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. Next verse. And because he was of the same craft, Paul, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Everybody say they were tent makers. Amen. Turn in your Bible the next book, the end of the book, Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5. Once again, Paul is speaking. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. And I'll stop reading there. Let me do a little background for you before we're praying. I'm going to have the youth committee come and my wife to come with them as well. 
but a little background here. Priscilla and Aquila were pastors. They, As far as we know, they started a couple of churches, and we don't know a whole lot about them, but we do know that they had a special place in the Apostle Paul's heart. And so tonight, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach a little bit about Priscilla and Aquila. And I want to, if you'll put my title screen up there, I want to preach more than a tent maker. Amen. Everybody say more than a tent maker. Amen. The youth committee is going to come, and we're, I want, I've asked them to pray over me. I want you to find somebody, put your hand on their shoulder, pray, lay your hands on them, pray for somebody else. And we're going to ask that God would move into this place, that God's perfect will would be done, and that He would speak to His people. Can we do that? Let's pray right now. Lord, we love you. God, we're so thankful for this opportunity to be in your house, in your presence, and among your people. Father, now I take divine dominion and authority over anything that would try to exalt, stop, destroy, or divide your purpose. We bind it in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that you'd move into this house. We pray that you would give me my, the words to speak, the, the eyes to see, the ears to hear. God, let every gift be an operation that's needed. And God, let it be governed by the fruit of the Spirit. God, let your love fill this place. God, will give you all the praise and all the glory and all of the honor. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated with the help of the Holy Ghost. So we find Priscilla and Aquila in the city of Corinth. And as I was talking with my, my wife, which by the way, it's good to have my wife here. I've preached a lot of messages, but I've never been able to say my wife before behind the pulpit. So I, I was, we were just researching and looking into Corinth and Priscilla and Aquila and all of the wonderful things, and, and uh, I was just, I, I knew what I wanted to preach, I just didn't exactly know how I was going to preach it. I, I told Brother Marshall, I said, it's like there's a train in front of me moving a thousand miles an hour, I see where it started, I see where it ended, but I've got to figure out where I want to jump onto that train. And so that's sort of the approach that I've taken tonight to, to preaching the gospel. I hope you'll bear with me. But uh, as I was talking with my wife, she, she sort of helped me with Priscilla and, Quilla, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. That's a mouthful. And uh, sort of helped me see a couple of things about them. Uh, we, we see in the book of, of Acts, the, the uh, 15th chapter, that Paul, he goes and preaches in Athens. This is one of the most fascinating scriptures to me. Paul goes and he sees this idol that's been erected, and it says in its inscription, it says to the unknown God. And so Paul, he comes out and he says, oh, you are a little bit of a superstitious people, and you, you kind of have some funky things. You worship a lot of gods, and just to make sure that you didn't offend any god out there, you put up this idol and you said to the unknown god, just to cover your bases, just in case, there's a god out there that might smite you if you don't worship him. And so Paul, being the smart feller that he is, he said, you know what, I, I got an idea. And he walked over to that hill and he walked and said, people of Athens, come here, I've got something to tell you. You see that God over there? You see that little idol that you've got there? He said, you may not know this, but I know who that God is. You don't know who he is because it says unknown God, but let me tell you about the God that I serve. So Paul begins to preach this very eloquent message as if you've ever read any portion of the New Testament, chances are it was written by Paul. He's a pretty eloquent and sometimes pretty funny and sometimes pretty pointed guy. He can, he can be a little offensive sometimes. You would not want Paul as your pastor. Sometimes we may not like our pastors, but we're very thankful that they're there and we're also very thankful that Paul's not our pastor. My pastor's gotten a hold of me a couple of times and I thank God for it, but 
he's still been a little nicer than the Apostle Paul was when he got a hold of people. So he walks over there and he says, you've got this God, and maybe this is my own paraphrase, okay, this is not the King James, this is the CAV, which is the Chase Alphan version of the Bible. But he walks over there and he says, here's this God, it's not built out of gold, it doesn't have iron in it, it wasn't crafted by a man, it's not something that you can see and feel and hold and touch. This is a God that's better than all of that, and in fact, this God doesn't need you. And you remember earlier in the book of Acts, people were getting a little bit furious. They were getting a little mad because all of the people that made idols and they worshipped these gods, all of a sudden they were going out of business because the Christians were converting them and they were worried that their God was going to be offended because they weren't making enough money. And so now Paul turns around and says, not only is he a real God that's not made out of gold or whatever else, but he said he doesn't even need you. Now that's a pretty funky thing to wrap your head around if you're a Greek or you're a, just any kind of Gentile. That's a pretty weird thing to say that God doesn't need you. And that's sort of true today. I know for a fact that God doesn't need me, but He sure wants me. And see, there's a difference. There's a difference. That makes it all the more powerful when God does choose to, to use me because He's perfect. He could choose anybody in the world that he wanted to do and it'd be done perfectly, but he chose you and he chose me knowing that we're imperfect, knowing that we're not all there sometimes, but he chose us in spite of us. He doesn't need us, but he surely wants us. Turn to somebody and say, God wants you. So Paul, he's preaching and he, he carries on to this God that doesn't need you, but he's a great God. He created the gold that you use for your statues and he created the wood. And in fact, not only that, he created the hand of the people that made the idols that you think are gods. And so a couple of people laughed him and said, you're insane. A couple of people said, now nah, we'll talk about it later. Or they gave him that Midwest maybe, which we all know what maybe means. It means... It means no, okay? They gave him that Midwest maybe, and then there are some of them that said, we're going to follow you, and the couple of names I can't pronounce, I'm not going to try to pronounce them, you figure it out and tell me, I'd be glad to hear it, and uh, they followed him as Paul went to Corinth. So then Paul, he comes to Corinth, and he meets a feller named Aquila and his wife named Priscilla. And Scripture is very, what it says about them is very interesting. It says they made tents. Is there anybody that likes to go camping? Is there anybody that really doesn't like to go camping? Okay. Well, y'all can leave now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Fortunately, tonight we're going to be talking about more than a tent maker, so you're going to be all right. You don't have to love camping to be used of God. So thank God for that, right? <clears throat> so Paul, he meets these, this couple of people, and the Scripture says a very interesting thing. It says that Paul attached himself to them because they were tent makers. They shared the same craft. And, and, and here's the thing, uh, how many of you know what you want to do when you grow up? Let me put it that way. You know what job you want to do, you know what, what you want to do. Is there anybody that has no idea? Okay, I see some adults raising their hands. <laughs> Praise God. So back in the day, fortunately or unfortunately for you, back in the day, you didn't have a choice. If your mommy or daddy did something, that's what you were going to do. If your great-great-grandpappy made tents, that's what you were going to do because great-great-grandpappy did it, and so you're just going to continue doing it. 
You didn't have a choice to choose your career. You didn't have a choice to choose your spouse. You didn't have a choice to choose anything. You just kind of went along with it. And so these people were people, they were, they were tent makers by trade. And because of history, we can look and we can understand that this wasn't just something that Priscilla and Aquila decided one day, you know what, I'm going to go make bank, I'm going to make some moves, and, and I, I'm going to go start a business, and I'm going to make tents. This is something that had been in their family for a long, long, long time. Likely generations. Here's how the Romans, who all likes history? Let me put it that way. Who really doesn't like history? Okay, you're going to have to forgive me. My bachelor's degree is in history. So for those of you that don't like history, I'm going to try to move on as quickly as I can. But for those of you that don't understand what this patronage system was, somebody a hundred and something years ago, a thousand years ago, made a tent for somebody else. And so a thousand years later, they're still making tents for that somebody else. So if we go to war and their general's over there, I make a tent for him. My great-great-great-great-grandson's going to be making tents for his great-great-great-great-grandson. That's just how it works. So suffice it to say, when it says that Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, I'm going, so this is the weird, weirdest message you've ever heard, okay? Just bear with me. We're going somewhere. When it says that they were tent makers, it's something special. It had been done for generations. This is something that they had a lot of tools. They had a lot of expertise. They didn't just take a class to do it, but they had generational knowledge that was passed down. They could have made a lot of money. In fact, historically, you can't prove this, but historically, Aquila, or rather Priscilla was probably a rather pretty important lady. She was probably aristocratic. She probably had some wealth and some money and some titles to her name. So when they had all of this, they were, they were something special. They were something special. They could have made a lot of money. They could have made a lot of whatever they wanted to be as long as it was tense. But they were going to do all right with themselves. So in Romans chapter 16, when Paul, when he commends them, when he says that I want to greet Priscilla and I want to greet Aquila and I want them to understand that the entire Gentile world, the entire Gentile Christian world thanks them for their service. What he was saying is all of these churches and people that you see are here because of what Priscilla and Aquila did. They weren't just tent makers. They did something that would record them in the annals of biblical history. Something that they did marked them down as people that the great apostle Paul would say, greet those people. The man that would write scripture, he would write about holiness and he would write about here's what it means to be a man of God and here's what it means to do this and here's why Christ's sacrifice, here's why grace is so effective. He would also say, greet those people. And that is just as much scripture as when he said X, Y, and Z in 1 Timothy or in Galatians or Ephesians. Why is it that Paul placed so much emphasis on greeting two people that all we know about them is the husband was from Turkey, the wife was from Rome, they lived in Rome, they were kicked out of Rome and they made tents. That's all we know. But here's what we can infer. Here's what we can figure out by looking at Scripture. They had a livelihood. They were the merchant class of Rome. They could have made a lot of money. They could have had a lot of fun. They could have done whatever they wanted to do as tent makers. But instead, they chose to invest their life in the kingdom of God. And for that, Paul would say, greet them. See, yes, they were tent makers. You know why? Because you've got to work to live. You've got to have a job 
to survive. You, you've got to do some things to live. And maybe your parents told you what you were going to do. Or maybe you're going to college to figure it out. But regardless, we've got to work to live. We've got to work to eat. But more than that, they were more than a tent maker. And we know this. We know this because they wouldn't just be satisfied with going to work and getting a paycheck and going home. They, they wouldn't be satisfied with just doing what had to be done. No, they made sure that I, yeah, I have to build tents. Somebody preach with me, please. It's like preaching a brick wall right now. It was more than just I've got to do this. It was I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God. I'm going to build some tents. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. There are some things that we've got to do just to get by. There are some things you've got to go to school. You've got to wake up. You've got to go to the job. You've got to eat. You've got to do all of that. Yes, be a tent maker. Go to school. Go to work. But more than that, more than that, dedicate yourself to the things of God. In Acts chapter 18, when Priscilla and Aquila were introduced by their occupation, surely that's all they would ever be known for. They would not be remembered after that as anything more than a tent maker. But when they were introduced by their occupation one book later, they would be remembered for their dedication. Can I tell you, you can have an occupation. You can have a job. You can do all of that. But you shouldn't be remembered for that. Be remembered for your dedication to the things of God. I'm not called to make tents. I'm called to make disciples. Maybe I'll make a few tents here and there just to get by, just to pay the bills. But I'm not called for that. I'm called to make disciples. But here, I told you that Paul could make some funny things. He could say some funny things every now and then. When you look at the Greek... Of what he was saying when he said they were tent makers, that word tent also translates to tabernacle. In fact, the Paul that wrote about the tabernacle and all of the other books of the New Testament, when he would reference the sanctuary or the tabernacle of the testimony, that same word that he would use, eskene or something like that, I, I can give it to you, write it down. I'm not going to try to pronounce it again, but whatever that Greek word is, is the same word that he would translate as tabernacle as sanctuary when he would talk about the tabernacle that we have this treasure in an earthen vessel and he would talk about we are the temple of the Holy Ghost he was using that word tent so when Paul says I want you to meet these couple of people they're tent makers yes they were tent makers but he would also use the same word where he said these are the people that construct the tabernacle of the most high God these people share my occupation. So all of a sudden, by using Paul's other writings, we see a little bit of context of what he means by this word. These are not just people who by their occupation made some things out of leather and linen and hide or whatever else it was. But these were some people that in their work, in their occupation, in the things that they did that weren't even spiritual at all, there was still a spiritual consequence. In going to work. In doing what needed to be done. In doing the things that just had to be done day in and day out. They were still remembered in those tasks as doing what God had required of them. 
Can I put it to you like this? When you go to Walmart, get yourself some deodorant, please. Please. But remember, you're not going to get deodorant. You're going there to reach somebody. And while you're there, you might as well pick up some deodorant. Remember. And yeah, please pick up that deodorant. Remember. When you're going to school, you're going to get educated. Getting your education. You're learning your ABCs and, and all of that other fun stuff. You, you need to do that. You need to get, get good grades. Paul would say in Colossians to reference him, he said, everything that we do needs to be done unto the Lord. He would say, it doesn't matter if anybody else sees it, I've got to do it like God's watching. Because he is watching. So go to school, get good grades. Okay? Go to work and do your job. Don't be the lazy co-worker nobody likes. That doesn't reflect Christ very well. But while you do that, remember, you're more than just insert occupation here. You're working on a tabernacle. You're working on a testimony. You're working on something a little bit deeper, something a little bit stronger, something a little bit, it's going to last a little bit longer than just what a tent will last. I can't tell you how many times in the past six months, thank you, sir. My voice was shot before I even got up here. I have got, had so many people walk up to me and say, hey, you still teach Bible studies? I had a guy contact me from high school last month. I haven't talked to the guy in five years. He said, hey, I'm going through a rough time. Would you pray for me? That, exactly that thing that I was playing the P7 video before service, he did it to me. I never talked to him about God. I never did anything. I, I just was who I was. I walked into the school. I lived the life I was supposed to live and walked out. And five years later, he remembered something. And I can tell you it wasn't Chase Alf. And there's nothing special about me. He remembered Jesus Christ that was in me. He felt something different that he remembered half a decade later. I can tell you of all of the Bible studies I am teaching, there is not a single one that I asked them to teach them a Bible study. Not a single one. Every single one of them came up to me and said, hey, we should go out and open the word. I, I have some questions I'd like you to, to talk to me about. In fact, here, I'm going to try to build your faith a little bit here. In fact, I had a guy walk up to me in, in my senior year. He walked up to me in college. This was just six months ago. His name's Samuel. He walked up to me, and there's something special. You ever meet somebody with the Holy Ghost? There's just, you, walk, you kind of see him way out in the corner. It's like, there's somebody, yeah, there's something different about that fella over there, right? You, you just, you kind of know. Sometimes you, you see them. Sometimes you can tell by how they dress. Sometimes by how they act. But there's just something off in a good way. There's something off about him. And so he's from the Congo. I sure hope he's not watching right now. He's from the Congo, and, and he's just a tall, thin, distinguished gentleman of a man. I mean, he's just a Christian gentleman. And he walked, and he just came up to me one day. He said, Chase, you're a Christian, right? So number one, I don't know your name. How do you know my name? Number two, how do you in the world do you know that I'm a Christian? I never said anything about it. And so we exchanged numbers. We, started, we said, hey, I, you know, I have a campus ministry here at Westland. I want to invite you to join me. He said, of course, sometime. So long story short, fast forward four or five months, however long it was, we're, we're sitting in a Bible study, and, and here's something that I've learned about campus ministry. I, I want 100 people to show up from my campus. I want the room to be packed out. But the most effective Bible studies I've ever had have been one-on-one. And I've learned from experience, when I'm supposed to have 15 people show up to my Bible study and only one shows up, God's about to do something really fun. 
What are the odds that over a dozen people just can't make it when they've made it every other week in the semester? They just all of a sudden can't come. So we start to talk, and he asks a question. I don't even remember what the question was. But he asked a question. It was something about that Peter had said. And he's talking, he said, and I've heard people talk about this, and he rattles off some weird doctrine. He said, I've heard people talk about that. And, and I could tell, he's an astute gentleman. He, he's a pretty sharp guy. I could tell him he's not, he doesn't want the answer to this question. He wants just to see what I'm going to say. He, he knows the answer. He's just trying to test me. Long story short, we start talking, and, and I, I'm not into shoving doctrine down people's throats. Okay, You don't go up to a baby and, and shove a steak down your throat, or you might have a problem. Okay, they're not designed for steak. So you just kind of feed it to them, and, and when they have an appetite for more, you give them a little more, and when they start crying and fussing, you, give, you, you know what I mean? you you got to take it in steps. And so I can see there's a little bit of depth to this man, a little more depth than there is to some other people. And so next thing you know, this is like the third Bible study we've ever been in, and we're talking about Jesus' name, baptism, and speaking with other tongues. We're talking about all of the big stuff that's scary and pushes people away. Like, that's weird stuff, right? We want to hide that because that's weird, right? No, no, we don't do that. So next thing you know, he takes his hand and he slaps it on the table. And he said, I knew it. I knew you believed in Jesus' name. He said, I have been in America for over a year. I have been looking for a church that preaches what my church at home preaches. He said, I finally found it. I finally found it. So the next Bible study we had... I said, Brother Samuel, would you mind opening in prayer, or closing in prayer rather, and Samuel opened his mouth to pray. Every hair on the back of my neck stood up. I got goose pimples, and he started praying and speaking in tongues. And just, I'm like, oh my God, shut, you're going to scare people away. But boy, the Holy Ghost moved in that place. But let me tell you, I never talked to him about it. I never invited him to church. I never said, hey, let me teach you a Bible study. He just came up and said, hey, I feel something different about you. There's something strange. I have a coworker. Oh God, I hope they're not watching. I have a coworker. The first time I meet him, where I haven't sat down and talked with him for 10 minutes. And next thing you know, he's like, well, you know, I used to be closer with God, but my relationship with God just kind of drifted away. I really want to get closer to God, man. You know, you know what, what can I do about that? You came to the right person. I'm so glad you asked. What was it in 10 minutes that this man said, I'm going to ask that, out of all of the coworkers in the entire bank, I'm going to ask that guy about Jesus. Again, I didn't have a sign on me that said Jesus, and I wasn't cramming him down his throat, and unless he's just really weird, I don't think he knew me well enough to stalk me on social media. But there was something about who I was, the man that I was, the life that I lived, that whether or not he knew it, he may not even know what attracted him to me. All he knew is there's something different about that apostolic over there. I'm going to go talk to him and ask him some questions. Every single time I have a coworker, I'm just going to keep telling stories like this, okay? I have a coworker. He texted me. I, I should have grabbed my phone and recorded it. It was like two weeks ago. He said, hey, man, you still preaching at, at the Life Church? I, I really want to start coming back to church. It's been too long since I've been in the house of God. Well, no, you can't come. Don't want you to. Of course you can come. I always love it when people ask, can I come to church? Of course you can come to church. But I hadn't seen this guy in months. 
I haven't texted him. I haven't called him. But something in the middle of the night woke this guy up where he said, you know, there was that one really weird dude back, back a couple of years we worked together that he was kind of that weird Jesus guy. I felt something different about him. I'm going to text him and see if he knows something about how I can walk closer with God. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. I, I've just, this has been a mess. Just, this has not been a very pretty sermon at all. Here's the point that I'm trying to, I'm just going to cut right to it. Here's the point. We're called to be students. That's what we do. That's just part of life. We're called to go to work. We're called to go to church. We're called to do all of those things, but we're also called to a deeper thing. You don't need to wear a sign on you that says, I'm an apostolic, one God, tongue-talking, holy God. You don't need that. You just need to develop a relationship with the teacher with a capital T. You need to be a student with the master with a capital M. And now all of a sudden when you walk into your high school, when you walk onto your college campus, when you're going into your job, when all of that starts happening, all of a sudden things begin to happen and you're having people pray through the Holy Ghost on your job and pray through the Holy Ghost on your work and, and all of these things are beginning to happen. Not because of anything you did other than just say, God, you must be glorified. Boom, God shows up and things happen. I want to tell you, the key to revival on your... Let me just, by show of hands, how many want to see people in their school come to God? Do you want your school, do you want your classmates, your college education, educators, do you want them to come to church with you? Do you know how cool it is? Ask me how I know. Do you know how cool it is to have college professors come and sit on the back row while you preach a message? Now I'm going to give you a lecture, sir. You know, how, you know what that does to you? I know it's not about me, and I, I shouldn't even be acting like it's about me, but I'm trying to tell you, the, there's no greater excitement than knocking on somebody's door. You get about 10 of them slammed in your face until you find the 11th one. They open it and say, you know what? I've been praying about finding a church. That's the coolest feeling there is in the world. That's it. You know, I, I have fun. If you can't tell, I have fun preaching. I like preaching. It's kind of fun. I, I kind of goof off sometimes, maybe a little too much when I'm preaching. But you know what? I have fun doing this. You know where I'd rather be right now? Sitting across the table with a cup of coffee and open Bible, talking to somebody about this is what Jesus wants to do for your life. I can tell you, Youth Congress, General Conference, nothing. You ask me to compare which one I'd rather preach or teach versus teaching a Bible study, give me the Bible study any day. Give me the Bible study. It's fun. To watch the light bulbs go off in people's eyes as they realize, hey, whoa, I was struggling with addiction, but really there's an answer to my addiction. I was struggling with pain, but there's a guy that wants to fix my trauma and he wants to help me get through the hard things. What? I've tried it all. I've tried drugs and alcohol and porn. I've tried it all, but there's, there's an answer. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. The key to all of this is to be more than a tent maker. Be a tabernacle maker. Make a place where God can move. Make a place where God can speak. Make a place where God can walk in. We're going to pray musicians are coming. Musician, why don't you stand with me? I didn't come on this youth service to make you feel super excited and pump you up and make you feel, oh yeah, let's go back to school. I came to tell you that the God that you serve wants to be the God of every person in your school. 
the God that you and I are so blessed to serve wants to move on your job. He wants to move at, at home if you're not having a family that serves God. He wants to move every place you walk. But the answer is not passing out business cards, knocking on doors, and asking people, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? The answer is living a life that reflects Jesus Christ. And I promise you, hear me, if you will, if you will commit yourself to consecration, if you will commit yourself to being what God has called you to be, if you will commit yourself to being everything that you know you should be, God will move on your campus. As I come to a close, I want to say this. We call this service launch because we're launching into the new year. We're launching into the things of God. We're launching into our campus. We're launching into our job. We're launching into the purpose of God. So just because I got a little tickled and I decided it'd be really fun to have a rocket ship story in church about launch. So I started looking up about what's a cool story that would be fun. I could end my sermon or start my sermon or include somewhere in the sermon that would be really neat to show people about rocket ships and then equate it to the things of God. And so we were sitting in a youth committee meeting kind of talking about how, how we should all do all of this. And, and it just clicked with me. And this is going to sound really weird, okay? Some of you might remember this. But all of a sudden, I just had that little whisper in the back of my head. It said, look up the Columbia disaster. Is there anybody old enough to remember when the Columbia? Okay. So those of you that don't know, the Columbia was a spaceship that went up. And long story short, it blew up, killed everybody inside of it. Let's go back to school. Yeah, you excited? Happy? But I, I started reading the report. If you can't tell, I'm a little bit of a nerd. And so I started reading the report. I'm like, why, why did the Columbia fail? I, I know they had that little piece of foam that fell down. And I know in the Challenger disaster, they had a little O-ring that wasn't quite right. But really, why was it? It's not, they're rocket scientists, okay? A little piece of foam isn't going to mess it all up. So I, I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, the whole time I'm asking God, why in the world do you want me to look at this? This, we're, I'm trying to launch them into the new year, and you want to talk about a Columbia disaster? Rocket ship blew up and killed everybody. Yay, go reach your schools. That's not exactly, I'm, I'm, God, what are you trying to tell me? And it's just like, right in the middle of that page, there was this headline that said something to the effect of, when scientists began to research why it exploded. So that really, that tuned me in. This is what they said. They said that reliance on past success as a substitute for sound engineering practices brought the Columbia down. The Columbia didn't fall down. It didn't blow up. It didn't break up because there was a malfunction Somewhere, but the government, when it began to introduce, or rather, it began to investigate the disaster, they didn't look at the rocket ship, they looked at the scientists. And they said the reason this disaster happened is because they relied on past, they relied on successes of yesterday, they relied on what they thought they knew instead of developing practices for today, they relied on yesterday's prayer meeting to get them through today. They relied on their pastor's walk with God to get them through the school year. Instead of developing sound practices that would have taken that rocket ship all the way up 
and all the way back down safely because engineers got lazy and said, you know what, I'm just going to let everybody else, all of the work that was done 30 years ago to get the rocket ship up, I'm going to just assume if it worked then, it's probably still going to work now. If, if it worked then, there's no reason why we should even check it or investigate it for ourselves. I'm sure it's fine. Three, two, one, launch. And so here's what I want to tell you. I believe, I feel a hunger for souls. I feel that God wants to use people in this place to teach Bible studies and start CMIs and start P7s. But I want to tell you, you're not going to be successful by going on YouTube and finding stories where other people were successful. You're not going to be successful by just listening to your pastor's preaching on Sunday and just expect that to get you through the other six days of the week. We're not going to be successful because mommy and daddy are a preacher or a pastor. I'm kind of covered, so I'm probably good just to skate on into heaven. We've got to develop for ourselves an understanding that He is God. And I want Him to be my God and the God of my school. One last story and then I'm going to have you come. Let me illustrate the power. I've completely forgotten about this. Let me illustrate the power of an apostolic. My senior year in high school, I was only there for like an hour and a half a day. I had one or two classes. One of them, I know you can tell, okay, so don't laugh too hard. One of them was weight training, okay? That was one of my classes. You're not supposed to laugh at that, okay? The other one was like some weird psychology class I thought would be fun, okay? I was just skating through it senior year. I don't have anything to do. already been accepted in college, whatever. Don't need to worry about it. I don't care. So I was walking in at like 1130, okay? And I parked in the back of the parking lot, and I was walking in. And just kind of in my own zone. I wasn't praying. I wasn't like speaking in tongues. You know, we've all got to be super spiritual. You, if you're not speaking in tongues 24 hours a day, you're basically going to hell. No, I, I was just, I think I had my earbuds in listening to some podcast. I probably, probably listened to Ben Shapiro or something. I don't know. I just listened to something random. I wasn't even paying attention to anything. But I was walking, and I all of a sudden, this car drove by. They had their windows. They were really dark, tinted windows that were they were kind of cracked a little bit. And, and they were just, the car just creeped kind of slowly by. I don't know what it was about that car, but a spirit of fear hit me so hard. Every hair on the back of my neck stood. I, I felt like I was going to weep. I, to be honest with you, I felt like crying and running in the opposite direction. There was something about that car. It, it made my stomach turn. And so I did the only thing that I knew how to, how to do. I just said, God, I don't know what that is. But I don't like what I just felt driving by my high school. Before you know it, I was about halfway into the parking lot, and by the time, by the time I got into the doors, I was full-blown speaking in tongues. And like I said, I don't go around with a sign saying I'm apostolic. I, I just try to be who I am, and people are going to be attracted to that. Okay? They don't want a salesman. They want someone that's satisfied with a product. Okay? I'm not trying to be a salesman to people. I'm just going to be satisfied with the product of Jesus, and hopefully that will entice them. So there was this Christian lady. She was in there. She was sweet. And uh, she was... Baptist or something, one of those kinds that she spoke in tongues and she was super spiritual too and she was this southern black lady and she'd always just, hey baby how you doing give me a bunch of kisses every morning, she's just the sweetest lady and I don't even remember seeing her that day, she told me afterwards she said, honey I saw you praying, I wasn't going to mess with you and so I was walking in and I just had my head down and I was like, God I bind the spirit of violence, anything that would happen in my school today, it's not going to happen today, there's apostolics in this school, God don't let it happen, whatever's going, confound the enemy don't let it happen, stop it, don't let it happen and I'm just praying like that. And then I start speaking in tongues. I'm walking through the cafeteria like that. Just praising. I say, God, I plead your blood. Let there be peace today. 
and then nothing happened. It's like, well, that was weird. I go to class, and that night we got an email from the principal. And it said, parents and students just wanted to let you know we had an active shooter today at class, but it was all, it was all okay. Mom, do you, do you guys, do you remember this when we got the email about, about the gun that was found in the backpack? You can still look this up. If you don't believe me, look it up on LPS.org. It's Lincoln Public Schools. You can still find the article. Come to find out there was somebody that day at school that had brought a gun. They placed it in their backpack. And they had planned to, I don't remember if they were going to kill themselves or somebody else. Max, you were there. You remember this. I've got witnesses. I'm not just making this up. They had brought the gun to school that day to hurt people. And randomly at about 11 o'clock, remember what time I walked in and we just started praying? Just randomly, a police officer saw this guy. We had a, the resource officer saw this kid walking around and just said randomly, you doing okay? And the kid broke down, opened up his backpack, showed the gun, and said, sir, I was coming here to shoot the school up today. The timestamp on that email when it happened was the exact moment I scanned my ID to walk in the school praying for my school. That has nothing to do with my spirituality. That has nothing to do with, oh, I'm just something special. A little God, God speaks to me personally. He does, but that doesn't make me special. That's something that we can all have. Who knows if Southeast High School could have been another Parkland. But there was an apostolic somewhere that said, I, God, I don't know what's going on, but I want you to take control. And then I just went about my day and something miraculous happened at my school. Young people, I don't have a magic formula. I'm done. Please come. Please come. Please come if you want to pray. I don't have a magic formula. I don't have a pretty pep talk. I don't have anything to give you so you can win your school, so you can be better. All I can tell you is if you will get close to God, God will get close to you. And if God gets close to you, everything changes. Everything. Here's what I'm asking. Young people, pastors, youth workers, we need to deepen our relationship with God. We've got to pray. It doesn't matter how good or bad the preacher preaches. We've got to push into the presence of God, not for His sake, not for music, but for my sake, because I've got to be close to God. Can we do that today? Here's what I want us to do. Just, just begin to entertain the presence of the Lord. Just begin to say, God, I, I want a closer walk. Just a closer walk with Thee. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be fancy. But if you want to make it up in your mind to reach your school, reach your job, reach wherever it may be, all you've got to do is just get a little closer to Jesus. It's as simple as that. I believe that in this room there are miracles not from the district board not from your pastor not from the youth committee not from the musicians but from you in your school I believe that people are going to get the Holy Ghost in your church because you brought them to church come on somebody if you believe that just say God I don't know how but I want to be involved on young people maybe maybe we need to read our Bibles a little bit more maybe we need to say God I've never fasted before but I, I'm willing to try it 
I've never taught a Bible study before, but God, I, I want to. That's right.